Hello, everyone. Welcome to Compass Teachers Show. I'm your host, Tiffan. My job is to interview teachers around the world and tease out their teaching tactics, education research, or tools they use. Hopefully, this show can offer some ideas for you to experiment in your classroom. So we are going to dig dive into how to infuse social emotion learning into your own classroom. Today we are really honored to have Wendy Turner join us. Wendy is a second grade teacher and 2017 Delaware Teacher of the Year. She teaches at Mount Pleasant Elementary School, a large suburban school in Delaware. With over seven hundred and fifty students and a diverse population, Wendy is interested in trauma-informed practices, global education, social emotion learning, and empathy in education. And she loves every moment spent with her seven and eight years olds. Without further ado, let's enjoy our conversation with Wendy. Welcome to the show, Wendy. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me to join your show. I'm I'm thrilled. So first of all, I know that you have a really different trajectory into teaching. After 17 years in the business world, Wendy, you decided to become a teacher. Curious, what is the story or motivation that drove you to make this big transition? Oh, it's such a great question! Thanks for asking that. Yes, I、uh, was a business major in college. I worked for seventeen years in finance and accounting, and we、uh, had a daughter in two thousand and five. And when my daughter was about six months old, I remember this so clearly. I was sitting in my cubicle、um, at the big company I worked for here in Wilmington. I just sat there and I thought to myself, I can't do this for twenty more years.、Um, I had really enjoyed spending time with my daughter. I had some nieces at this point, and I felt like I could relate really well to children. So I called my husband and I said, "Hi, do you mind if I go to school at night to become a teacher?" <laughs> and he was like, "Sure."、Um, he didn't drop the phone or hang up on me, which is good news. And I, I began to go to school at night, and it took me about three years of working full time. Going to school at night, taking care of our daughter, and I had our son, another baby, during the same time. So it was exciting,、uh, challenging, but wonderful, and it was absolutely the right choice for me. I wanted to start working in a profession where I could have more human impact. I could make a difference, and I always tell people that my very worst day in teaching is far better than my best day in my old job. Wow. So, do you find your previous business role experience as on different color into your teaching in an unexpected ways, or like how does it shape you differently in teaching compared to other educators? So that's a great question, and it has been an enormous advantage, in my opinion, to have all those years in the business world, in my experience. So during that time, I worked for many large companies. I worked for Disney. I worked for Price Waterhouse. I worked for a fragrance company in New York City. And when I worked for Disney, I traveled around the world. 
And that added to my personal experience, helped me broaden my horizons and come in contact with all different people. And I even worked in environments that were terrible. I worked in environments where people screamed and yelled and tried to make people cry, literally. Mm-hmm. And navigating those types of environments and coming out um, of them stronger, learning how to be resilient and ultimately saying no to those types of environments gave me confidence. And I truly feel like becoming a teacher at age 40 I was more prepared to work with different kinds of people, my students, uh, my families that I support, and just people in the district because of all those years of experience. I don't think I would have been anywhere near as effective if I had become a teacher right out of college at age 22. So now we know like you put lots of work into social emotional learning. What like inspired you to put so much effort to emphasize this area? Um, it's a great question. So um, this area isn't even talked about very often in teacher preparation programs. It's it, it's something you have to kind of figure out. And when I wrote, um, I had to write uh, my teaching philosophy when I was a teaching student. And I wrote a long time ago, it's, it's probably, you know, 15 years ago now that I wanted to teach my students how to be successful human beings. And that was just something I felt inside me. And so I had a little bit of an instinct to do this. And then really what crystallized this for me was something that happened in my first year of teaching. I started my job teaching second grade. And um, on about the seventh day of class, the second week of class, one of the students in my class uh, lost their mom to cancer. So it was very worrisome for me because here I was a new teacher and I had to figure out how to support my student, how to support the other students in second grade um, at this time, because they were starting to experience fears around losing a parent. And then how to like heal and come together as a community, a classroom community through this very difficult um, time. And and I really remember being at home crying literally because I didn't know what to do, but I just asked for help. I started talking to our principal and our counselor about what I could do. And I knew very, very clearly that we couldn't just come back into school and like open up the math book and start teaching, be like, open up to page 20, we're going to start a lesson. We had to talk about what happened. We had to share our feelings we had to share messy, uncomfortable feelings and work our way through them. We couldn't pretend it hadn't happened. We had to embrace what what, hap- what did happen and work our way through it. And ultimately, we ended up doing a really big charity project um, where we were able to make a large donation to a charitable foundation at the end of the year, kind of like as a way to conclude this experience together. So that told me right then and there, if we don't do social emotional learning, we're not even going to get to the academic stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really wonderful. So I think it's a good segue that we can talk more about the ways we can infuse social emotional learning into our classroom. So uh, from my research, I know, Wendy, you believe the best way to do that is to be a model for our students by identifying what we need to work on and engaging that work right before our students' eyes. So I'm curious if there's any story behind or your conversation from the students' progression that comes to this realization. Sure. Um, you know what? Could I define social-emotional learning for you first? Because I think that will be helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right, great. So social emotional learning is, to me, it's everything. It's the foundation of everything that we do in education. And if we don't do it, we're we're not going to be successful. So a lot of people um, know that social emotional learning is very important now with the trauma that everyone is enduring with COVID-19 and schools being closed and open. And But I think that a lot of people, if you ask them what it is, they're just not sure. 
they're like, was it mindfulness or gratitude? Or it's, it's something about getting along with people. I don't know. So I like to really use a framework for social emotional learning. There's a very popular one out there. Um, and I explain that to my students and that helps us all stay grounded in what we're doing. So CASEL is the collaborative for academic and social emotional learning. They are the, um, you know, the leader in thought around social emotional learning and providing resources um, and space um, around social emotional learning. And they have a model um, and it's known as the Castle Five and it's five competencies. And if you go to their website, you'll find this graphic, it's a wheel and it's got five parts to it. And the different competencies that are social emotional learning are five things. They're self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, relationship skills, and responsible decision-making. So as you work to bring these things to your student, you have to define these things for your students, and then you have to give them ways to develop strength and skill in them. And I think if we as adults do that side by side with our students, we are, you know, walking the walk and talking the talk that we say we're going to do, and we're modeling it for them in real time. And um, there's a struggle. Some people find they say like, well, I can't, I can't fit social emotional learning in. I have to cover all this content or, you know, I'm a math teacher. I don't do this. This isn't my job. But what we need to do ultimately is yes, define these things. And yes, um, talk about some vocabulary that kids need to understand like emotions or, you know, what's a relationship, what's empathy. And then we have to understand ways to infuse them into our academic activities. And it's absolutely possible to do so. Um, I think that um, there's a great um, case study out there and it was put out by San Jose State and it talked about how to prepare teachers to do this. And that piece really speaks my heart about social emotional learning. But the piece talks about in order to prepare teachers to do this, number one, you have to have them work on their own adult SEL. So work on their social emotional competence in terms of developing self-awareness, self-management social awareness, uh, relationship skills, and decision-making skills. And then you have to teach them how to integrate it into uh, academic moments in the classroom. So would you mind sharing one or two examples like how you engage your personal work-in-progress self while teaching them social-emotional learning? Sure. So a great one right now, one that's really important, is around self-management and self-awareness. And that is really the process of identifying our emotions. Um, and right now, we're all going through many, many emotions because the world is going through many, many challenges right now. And I feel like the world is in survival mode. And as a result, lots of human beings are too. So something that I can do is I can ask the kids to do an emotion check-in. I can say, how are you feeling today? Are you feeling good, uh, ready to learn? Or do you feel a little uneasy or worried about something? Or are you mad or scared or angry? And I can also share my emotional state too, right? So when I do that, then I can kind of quickly assess who might have trouble today learning, who might need a little bit more compassion or support. And when we, before school closed, I used this um, rubber bracelet system where um, every day the kids would come in and put on a bracelet, red, green, or yellow on their wrist quietly and to show me and their classmates how they were feeling. And we talked about the fact that if a student was wearing a yellow or a red bracelet, we might need to support them better. And what would it look like to support them? Um, and I would also wear a bracelet too. So there might be mornings, you know, a lot of times I come in on green. I'm really excited to see my students, but 
hey, I'm a human being too. And if I've gotten into a fight with one of my kids on the way to school or something like that, I might come in and put on a yellow bracelet. So I'm modeling my honesty with sharing my emotions and I'm uh, fostering a safe environment where students can share their emotions. You know, if you come in every day and put on a red bracelet, you're never in trouble. Thank you, in fact, for doing that. And how can I help you? How can I help you get to a place of learning? And um, so that's something that um, can be integrated into the fabric of your classroom. I am uh, remote or hybrid, I've been all year. So the kids fill out a Google form to share this information. Um, so that's one way. And then once we realize that we do have emotions that we'll call uncomfortable, maybe yellow or red, we have to teach resilience strategies. So when you feel uncomfortable, you're having a mad, sad, angry day, what do you do? So we teach children explicit calming strategies. Um, we talk about the power of our breath. It's always with us. It's something we can go back to. We talk about finding joy and the good things, even in the hardest days. Um, one of Castle's signature um, plays, they have a signature playbook with three signature SEL moves. One of them is an optimistic closing. So every day we do an activity that's an optimistic closing. On Monday, it's called Three Good Things. And I ask the kids um, to share three good things. And it might have been the worst day or the most challenging day, but we share things like the sun is out, or I snuggled with my dog today, or I had a hot dog for lunch, or I say I got to go on a walk around the block. So you just celebrate the good things even on the hardest day. And that's something that I do kind of concurrently with my students um, because whenever I ask them to share something like that, I, I do the same thing. I share my emotion. I share three good things, et cetera. Um, another one that I really like is reframing negative thoughts. And that also comes into play with self-awareness and self-management. Human beings are wired to have uh, negativity bias, which means that they focus on negative thoughts more than positive thoughts. And if you think about a day, maybe you've gone through a day and 10 things have happened to you nine of them were good and one was bad. All you remember is that one bad thing. And mm -hmm. reframing is where you take a situation and you look for the positive in it. It's not like pretending that everything's great because we don't want to do that. Um, but it's looking for something good. And an example was, you know, last spring schools here in the U S closed in March and we had to do a lot of reframing. So school closed, we weren't really good at remote learning yet. We were struggling a lot, but we reframed and said things like, well, school's closed, but um, I get more time because I don't have to commute to work right now. Or yes, school's closed, but I'm learning a lot of new technology and that's a good thing for me and my students. Um, or school's closed and I get to spend more time with my family. So by teaching explicitly how to reframe negative thoughts and find the good thing in a situation, you're, you're um, introducing another resilience strategy. Yeah, I, I, I really love the reframing one. And but I also found that the bracelets is really interesting. Like how many colors do uh, can a ch student choose for uh, the bracelet? And also like, do they make the bracelet themselves or you just like distribute some bracelets to them? So um, yeah, they right now with my bracelet model, I have three colors, green, yellow, and red. And I just buy plastic rubber bracelets um, that can be reused. Now with COVID, um, I may start using ones with the kids who are in person in my classroom. I'll have some hybrid learners and I'll just give them like a little plastic bag that has three bracelets in it that they can choose from that are always theirs. And we name on the first day of school, actually, I put up a chart and we name emotions and we sort them into green emotions, yellow emotions and red emotions. So they have some language around what's what. I think you could add other colors um, for um even young kids, but certainly for older people, um, I've, I've had blue be represented as sad. 
Um, I've seen orange represented for exciting um, or pink could be exciting and purple could be kind of calm. So you could really add whatever you want. I do just focus on the three right now, but you could, what could really be great is you could have the kids design a system. So if you were going to have bracelets and you wanted to have colors represent emotions, what would you want each of them to be? And that could be so powerful because they could have a part in it. And I have to say, I wish that sometimes adults had such a system because how amazing would it be to walk into your workplace and just know who's struggling a little bit or who might need some help or a check-in? Yeah, that's true. And you don't need to like struggling to read their minds. You can just see um, how they're feeling. So there, the one thing that you just mentioned I also really want to ask is the emotional checks in Jamboard. Like, would you mind sharing with us how you do this activity in your classroom? Yeah, and I'm happy to share some templates with you too. So I've noticed over time that Monday is really a hard day for um, my students. So even when we were in school, when school was open, kids come in on Monday and they're very tired because they usually stay up later than normal on Friday and Saturday night and then sleep in later. And they may spend a lot of times playing video games, especially in the cold weather, um, you know, and that can just make you feel like tired and sluggish, that kind of thing. So I tried something two Mondays ago that I just loved and it was a huge success. I'm going to keep doing it. I created a Jamboard. Um, so I use Google Jamboard and on that Jamboard, they, it just says, um, please share an emotion that you're feeling right now. And the students, if you're familiar with Jamboard, they can actually click on a sticky note and they just type something on it. So whether your students are at home or in the classroom, everyone can engage and collaborate on that at once, which is, I think, very powerful too, when we're all split up and separate from each other. So I did it two Mondays ago and kids were writing things like tired, I have a headache, I'm okay, I'm excited, I'm pretty good. But it was more unpleasant emotions than pleasant emotions, I noticed. And one person had written that they felt calm. Now, after that, um, I asked the kids to just uh, take a look at the screen I was sharing and I said I was going to show them some pictures. And I went on to show them 18 really beautiful pictures of winter scenes in Sweden. And I think I'd found them in the New York Times and I'd put them on the Jamboard and I just went through them. And I think I quietly counted to five while each picture was up like a five count. So they could look at each picture for a five count and went through. And they were just beautiful. Northern lights, Aurora Borealis, campfires. There was a dog sled picture, uh, wild reindeer. They were, you know, fir trees, icicles, just absolutely beautiful. And then on the 20th slide of the Jamboard, I said, okay, please check in again, write an emotion. Well, they checked in again and 10, not one, but 10 students wrote down that they were feeling calm. Mm -hmm. Several students wrote down that they were feeling better and more students said they were excited. So I had seen the incidence of a student uh, sharing a calm emotion rise tenfold just from showing a series of pictures of winter scenes. And that just really blew me away because data is data. Data doesn't lie and data can inform what you're doing. So that told me that if I could show my pictures that created uh, positive, happy chemicals in the brain every Monday morning, that was going to allow us to go into our lesson in a better place mentally. And I did it again this week, except uh, instead of winter scenes, I used pictures of cute baby animals. And basically, I had the same result. So right after this, I hadn't told the students about the activity. I hadn't told them they were going to do a second check-in. I just said, what do you notice? And they were like, wow, a lot of people feel better. I feel good. That's nice. And then they came. I said, well, what do you think this means? What, what is this telling us? And they said, if I look at pictures, nice pictures, I'm going to feel better. They, they basically came up with that understanding themselves. And I said, yeah. So if you're stressed, 
during an academic task or you're feeling upset, could you go to a window and look at nature and that might make you feel better? And they said, absolutely, it will. So it was incredible to me to just go through that activity. That's really powerful. Like I like the ways that you are not only helping them to identify the emotion, but you also give them the tools that they can um, flip that emotion to a positive one. So other than these like example is there any other tools that you find useful useful for students to help them do any like self-management um yeah so i want to share let me share another activity that we do so something that's really critical in this environment is um creating ways that the students can work together even though we're all in separate locations So we do use Zoom for our video conferences. And if I was in the classroom, I would have a lot of collaborative groups. Um, A few years ago, I used to have long um, rectangle tables in my classroom. And a few years ago, I did a Donors Choose project to uh, get funding for round tables because I realized that the collaboration and communication with my students would be so much more if they were sitting at round tables facing each other. Because when you're sitting at a long rectangle table, the two people on the end will never speak to each other, basically, right? Right. Because there's too much space and it's not easy. But I instead got all round tables for my classroom so they could look up and be sitting and looking at each other. So in the classroom, I would change seats often. I would have activities um, for each table. I'd have people work in pairs. And I had to figure out a way to do that in a virtual environment. So we do use Zoom for video conferences. And I create discussions that kids do in breakout rooms. And every day I have a topic in a five minute discussion and it might be something silly. Like if you could have any food all day uh, for one day, what would you have? If you could travel anywhere, where would you go? Uh, What's something you enjoy doing with your family? They're all just connection questions that are um, designed to help us get to know each other and bond and find our commonalities. So in the beginning of the year, they were having a little trouble with the breakout rooms. Like some kids were talking too much. Some kids were not talking enough. Some kids said, well, I don't like to talk. I just want to use the chat. And so we had to kind of talk about what was going on. And some kids were coming back from the breakout rooms and they were like giving this like thumbs down sign, like the breakout room was terrible. Um, So I said, okay, what are we going to do with this? So I have something called an empathy meter and it's a visual and picture a rainbow. And on one side of the rainbow, it's a a beautiful orange color. That's actually my favorite color. I I feel like it exudes positivity. There's this orange color and there's these hearts and it says, Um, I'm using empathy, I'm thinking about others, I'm thinking with others, I'm caring for others. And on the other side of the rainbow arc, it's kind of gray. And it says, um, I'm not thinking of others, I might be hurting others, or I'm just thinking of myself. And in the middle, you're kind of neutral. So what I do is once a week, I pull that out on, again, on a Jamboard. And I ask the kids to move a sticky note. So where do you think we are in this empathy meter? Are we being empathetic? Or are we not being empathetic? And one of the times I did it, there were a lot of sticky notes just kind of in the middle, like people weren't putting them over towards the empathetic side or the orange side. And I said, what's going on with this? And they said, well, it's really the breakout rooms. Like we're doing badly in the breakout rooms and people are getting mad and they're coming back mad and we need to do better. So I just said, how can we do breakout rooms better? And they shared ideas, uh, like let people be in the chat, create an order for people participating, like use alphabetical order or something. Someone try and be in charge to make sure everyone gets to talk. Um, They asked me to put in a chat warning, like when there's one or two minutes left. So they knew they had to wrap it up to get everyone to to chat. And so we did those things and breakout rooms started to go better. And so then um, usually every Friday I asked them to do the empathy check-in and we started to see more people were moving their sticky over to the side of the, um, 
uh, Jamboard where the empathy side was. So that's a way to think really concretely about using empathy in your everyday life. We read lots of stories about empathy. We talk about what empathy looks like. But we, I think when teaching SEL skills, you have to talk about what it looks like when that skill is missing. So in these examples, we learned what it was like when empathy was not present. And I think that's very as powerful for talking about what it looks like when it is there for students. So I feel like these are really, really great tools, and I will make sure that they are in our show notes so our、uh, listeners can check it out and experiment in their classroom. So SEL is a very abstract learning compared to other traditional subjects, which is relatively easy to assess progress. So. For you, how do you know your students are making progress in these competencies? So,、um, the, like the example I just gave you, I realized that the students were making progress with the breakout rooms, which meant that they were more self-aware of what they were doing and saying in the breakout rooms, and they were developing relationships with other kids by saying we're able to do better in the breakout rooms. Um, and so it's you're right. You don't want to give an assessment about that. You're never going to give your students a worksheet and ask them how to make responsible decisions. You're actually、yeah. going to see it.、Um, also, I've had、uh, so a little girl came up to me last week and she just almost had、uh, like tears in her eyes. And I said, "What's wrong?" And she said, "I miss my friend. I miss my friend, and I don't know when I'm going to see her. And I hate COVID." And I said, "Okay." So I said,、uh, "Let's try and figure out something to do." And I said, "Can you walk down the hall? There's a long hall. Can you walk down the hall and just hold this and squeeze it?" And it was actually just a roll of paper towels because I can't have all the things I used to share, like little stuffies or squishy balls and things like that, because of COVID and germs. And she said, "Okay, I can do that." And so she walked down the hall and came back. And when she came back, she was able to get back to her work. So right there, that tells me that that student was completely in tune with her negative emotion. She knew to ask for something. And when I provided her with a tool or an idea, she embraced it and she did it. And then she came back and said, "Thank you. I feel better, and I, I can go finish my math now." So you kind of have to be aware of it in moments. So I feel so proud when I can see it happening in moments.、Um, last year, another quick story: we had our tables. We were working in groups of four, and this one student got very upset, and he started to cry and stomp his feet. And we had these benches in my classroom. We actually called them like the cool down bench or the breathing bench. And he was getting upset and stomping his feet, but he stomped his feet right over to the cool down bench. He knew what to do and where to go. And then two or three other students from his group that he'd been working with went over to him and said, "You're okay. You're going to be okay. Good job. You know, you're going to feel better soon. You're on the breathing bench." And that that was one of those moments, right? So I. Observed a child losing control of their emotions or having difficult emotions. I observed them embracing a strategy we introduced in the classroom, and then I observed other students being empathetic and checking in with that child and complimenting them on doing just that. I was like, mic drop moment. I was like, I love it. It's happening. They're doing it. I didn't tell anyone to do any of these things, and it's it's happening. Wow. So yeah, I got it. So basically, it's really hard to use data to know. Their progress, but we can use our observation around their behaviors to know that they are improving. Yeah, you can use. 
I would say too, you could use surveys and you could use um, little formative assessments. Like say you were really teaching kids um, the definition of something like empathy or growth mindset. You could certainly give them like little quizzes to see if they have an understanding of those terms and concepts. I do think you have to spend a couple of weeks teaching some terms to the kids, some actual content. So they're familiar with the language and they can use it. Last question I have related to SAOs is that we know that there were lots of things happening in these days um, from Black Lives Matter to today's capital riots. For the recent capital riot, do you have any conversation with your students since it is such a hard topic? Yes, thank you. So I teach seven and eight-year-olds, and this is a tender age, right? So on Wednesday evening, as I was watching the Capitol riots, all I could think about was, what am I going to do tomorrow? So I determined that I would create space for whoever needed it, because I knew that at this age, some kids wouldn't know it happened. They wouldn't have been watching the news. Their parents um, may have chosen to not show them the news or tell them about it to keep them insulated from it. And that is reasonable for a young child. So what I did the next day is I started our day as we always do. We have a morning meeting. I said, uh, we're going to do our morning meeting exactly the same as we do every day. And then I said, I'm going to talk about something that happened yesterday that was kind of hard. And I told them factually what happened. And then I had the kids do a check-in again on a Jamboard. Do you want to have a class conversation about this or do you want to go work independently? Like you don't need to have a conversation. And so the kids moved their sticky notes and it turned out that five students wanted to have a conversation. So I placed everyone in individual breakout rooms who wasn't going to be part of it because that's fair and that's their choice. They worked on some independent um, tasks. And then with those five students, I said, um, you know, again, factually, here's what happened. Do you have any questions? What are you thinking? And, And one student shared that he had watched the news with his family his father talked to him about it, um, that kind of thing. Another girl scared that she shared that she was um, experiencing worry and anxiety watching the news. You know, it's upsetting to see people um, fighting, to see see and hear about violence, those kinds of things. And one girl just said, "Well, what happened? Can you tell me more about what happened? I think I know what happened." She had older brothers, and she just wanted to know a little bit more. And we went through that conversation for about twenty minutes, and that's it. I just held space for who needed it. Um, which I think was the right thing to do, hopefully. Yeah, that sounds that sounds right and great to me. So um, the last section is some random and big questions. First, is there any one to two books that influence a lot your thinking or value system in these past few years? Yes. So I, I always love when people ask this question. A book that I love and is near to my heart and will be forever is called Fostering Resilient Learners and its strategies for creating a trauma-sensitive classroom. And it's written by um, Kristen Sowers and Pete Hall. And I actually am friends with them now and I work for them. I consult um, with them teaching um, uh, and training people on how to create trauma-sensitive environments. And when I was a Delaware Teacher of the Year, I had to have a platform or something to talk about when I visited uh, different schools and communities. And I always talked about this need to provide a trauma-sensitive classroom. I believe that it's a moral um, imperative and it is what we need to do to support students because uh, students can't help what happens to them, but they come in with the uh, effects of what happens to them and it's our job to support them. So I love that book and it's a quick read. You can read it on a weekend and then you can go into your classroom or your learning environment on the next Monday and do something differently. So um, I really recommend it. Classroom Resilient Learners. And then this book, the second book I'll mention is not an education book, but it spoke to me in such a wonderful way. Uh, A friend gave it to me. It's called Rest. 
And the subtitle is Why You Get More Done When You Do Less. And it's by Alex uh, Sujung Kim Pang. And it just talks about how we rest and how we can be really productive when we rest and that rest may look different for everyone. So I'm a very active and driven person. I'm a morning person. I do a lot. Um, Even on the weekends, you always find me doing some kind of work because I'm pursuing like a side interest or I have another project going. And the book justifies for me that rest doesn't always have to be like sitting silently, not moving. Rest can be hiking where you're deep in thought or rest can be organizing or doing a project where you're just coming away from your professional craft because that's often where we get ideas and figure out innovation and th- innovative um, things that we can bring back to our professional craft. So I love that book called Rest. So if you have a superpower to change education system in America, what would it be? So it would be to immediately end all the systemic racism that exists in our education system. It would be to have everyone immediately be culturally responsive and to have Uh, more representation of uh, educators of color in the system to support our students of color. And um, that's what a lot of people are working on. That's one of also my uh, goals that I pursue in addition to advocating for and teaching about social emotional learning. This is something we need to do uh, so we do no harm to any student and we help them achieve uh, their greatness. It's our job. Right. So before we close up, Wendy, do you have any other thoughts that you want to share with our listeners? So I just want to say to all the educators out there, thank you every day for all you do. Thank you for being in the field of education. Thank you for supporting students. Thank you for um, working to grow and be better. We are in a difficult, difficult time, but in a way, it's one of the most exciting times in education because there's a lot of innovation taking place. There's a lot of people who are tackling these really hard issues uh, around racism and things like that. And the last thing I want to say is listen to your students. Your students can tell you what's hard for them. Your students can tell you what their hopes and dreams are. Your students can tell you when they're disengaged or they're struggling what the problem is. Just listen to them. If you place uh, your classrooms, uh, students at the center of your classrooms and at the center of your own heart in education, that's where we can do great things um, for, for the people that we need to. Great. That's really well said. And the last, last thing I really appreciate, Wendy, you share so much great uh, resource and activities for our listeners to do in their classroom. And if our listeners want to know more about your work, how they can find you online? Oh, great. Yes. Please contact me if you have questions or you need support. So I'm active on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at Mrs. Wendy M. Turner. I also have a teacher Facebook page. It's uh, Wendy Turner, 2017 Delaware Teacher of the Year. And just like you contacted me through Twitter and through Facebook, um, please reach out. And my email is wendymturner at gmail.com. If you go into my Twitter profile, there's a link there for a website. And that website is a Wakelet collection, a curated collection of all the different articles I've written, podcasts that I've been on, um, presentations that I've made. So if you're wondering about me or you're looking for um, ideas or just to understand how I think, 
please check out that collection of my work and then and do reach out. I, I shared at the beginning of this broadcast that I'm a global learning fellow and I truly love to be connected to educators around the world. Um, I've done presentations and trainings in Africa. I have replied to teachers in Asia and Europe about questions they have. I'm friends with a teacher from South Africa because of my trip there with NEA Foundation. And so please do reach out um, uh, because the common language Um, is that language that's at the heart of all educators, that language of love. And I'd love to help you if I could. So thank you, Wendy, for joining me today. Thank you, Tifat. I had a wonderful time and I really appreciate being asked. And and please do let me know if you and your listeners need anything and um, keep doing the wonderful job that you are. Thank you for listening. We will put the things mentioned in the interview to the show notes. If you enjoy our show, Welcome to share and don't forget to subscribe. Thank you.